illustration on the cover? It tells you it's from a book called The 21 Balloons. None of you read that as children? You should consider it. Um, it's a book about a uh, about a culture, you know, a sort of isolated um, culture that is begun by people who built it, a man who built himself away with a balloon. Several, many, many, many balloons. 21 balloons attached to a chair, I think. Um, and then they end up forming this private culture in the South Seas, which is where they get their, um, their primary image, which is a frying pan over a volcano. Um, which you might think is about the furthest thing you can imagine from Malacca. But in fact, we will see that the, the question of whether, you might, whether it, uh, what the halakhic status, particularly for Shabbat, is of frying over a volcano is a matter of, or is a matter of grave importance. And, in that, there's also a Latin, he has a Latin motto, non nawa said, said nawe. I think he enjoyed the pun because what it means, it means not new things, not new things, but new ways. And new, a, uh, no, that's no way is new ways, kind of pun. And uh, it's a Latin, Latin English pun. And I want to think about that also, right? What's the difference between new things and new ways? And I think that this picture sort of sums up the share. And if you remember, so hopefully, when you, I mean, you're trying to remember the content later, all you have to do is remember a frying pan with a volcano, and a Latin motto, and you've got the whole shear. Great. Okay, the, um, the issue I want to talk about, and I'll, again, if you, if you have if the Hebrew, um, I'm going to try, try and do it in a way that is conceptually followable if you don't read the Hebrew. There are two chuvot. One is from the 20th century, it's from Moshe Feinstein, who was the, generally considered to be the greatest halachic figure of the, I guess, mid to late 20th century. Um, and I'm going to follow that up with a response from the early 17th century of Yaakov Chagiz. And what they, have in, what they have in common is that they're both responding to scientific or sociological conceptions of uh, various things about the world. And the meta issue I want to raise through this trivot is the extent to which halakha is supposed to be up to date. And that's you know, a virtue we should always be at the cutting edge of forms of knowledge and um, you know and, and new understandings of the world, or whether there are real reasons to prefer to have a sluggish shalacha that takes time and is comfortable with being a generation behind. Okay, so on, right, so this will, to some extent, right, uh, it's going to be a biased presentation because it's going to be 
a presentation of two cases I think might have been mistakes, when really, even when really great figures tried to be up to date. Okay, so here we go. So this trip is written in 5731. Um, right, so we are in the late, uh, we're about 1970. Um, and the question he asks, right, the question that looks like an innocent question, um, he st right, it looks like an abstract essay about the question of um, cooking in sunlight. But you need a certain amount of background information for this. What you need to know is that to, be, to violate Shabbat biblically, um, you can do so by cooking over a fire or by cooking in something that has been heated by fire. But cooking in sunlight on Shabbat, direct sunlight on Shabbat, is perfectly permitted. If you, get, if you can, if you, can you, know, you have to find somewhere where there's no reflected heat, right? It's a challenge. And if you can find a way that all the, that all the heat that is reaching that is reaching your um, your food is direct sunlight, um, then it's perfectly permitted to cook in direct sunlight. Yes. I mean, the solar oven would not be cooked. Ah, but set, but derivative solar heat, right? Sec secondary solar heat, like a, so a solar like, oven. Like a box that has a bunch of mirrors that make that's right. more so, intense. So we generally assume. So it's an interesting question because you could have fun, but we're not going to do it now. <laughs> you could have fun trying to contend that um, mirrors are somehow different than magnifying glasses because the light bounces off the mirrors as opposed to it goes through the magnifying glass. But... Um, so magnifying glasses are not okay. But everyone agrees that magnifying glasses... Oh, just, just everyone agrees that magnifying glasses are not okay. We're going to see, but not entirely clear. Everyone agrees... Let's see the one case. Everyone agrees that if you take your handkerchief and you put it out in sunlight and now it gets really hot and then you put your egg in it and you wrap your egg in this, in this handkerchief, that is rabbinically prohibited. Prohibited. Yes, but rabbinically, not biblically. Okay, that's the background you have to know is that um, it is that um, all 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 cooking over fire or any heat derived from fire is biblically prohibited. Cooking in sunlight is permitted. Cooking in heat derived from sunlight is rabbinically prohibited. Okay, that's our basic that's our basic framework. Okay, so this right, Feinstein comes along and I said. Maybe we, I'm not sure how much of the text we're going to do at all, but we can we'll look at the asterisk section. And Feinstein comes along and he says, so why on earth is this? Right? All of you asking this question, why does it matter whether you're in fire or sunlight? So he quotes Rashi. And Rashi uses this the phrase, um, that the reason sunlight is different than heat is because sunlight is not the way of cooking. Okay? So that seems to suggest that seems to suggest that um, all right. It mean, that must mean if this is an explanation as to why sunlight is not biblically prohibited, it must apply to all heat derived from sunlight. It's never normal, or it's never the way of cooking to cook in sunlight or any derivative of sunlight, because otherwise it wouldn't be distinguishable. Okay. Okay. So now Ray Feinstein says he has a couple of issues about this. One is that um, we said direct sunlight is completely permitted. But as a general principle in Halakha, of Shabbat at least, it's called Kil Achar Yad. You probably met that if you do something which is normally done with the front of your hand, you do it with the back of your hand. So then it, what, if it's biblically prohibited with the front of your hand, it's only rabbinically prohibited with the back of your hand. In which we learn that if you do things that are biblically prohibited in an unusual way, it's rabbinically prohibited, right? So if fire is biblically prohibited, 
right? Cooking in fire is biblically prohibited, and cooking in sunlight is an unusual way of cooking, and cooking in sunlight should be rabbinically prohibited. And yet we say it's... And yet we say it's completely prohibited. Okay, that's problem number one. Yes, what's your name? Rebecca. Rebecca. So I've heard before that, like, if you accidentally left an egg out on the car, I've heard this before, that in the sun were to cook it, that you could eat the egg, correct? Um, probably, because it wouldn't be more than rabbinically prohibited. You have to decide, you know, you don't know if it's cooked directly in the sunlight or in the, or in the heated metal. But it would be an accidental violation of rabbinic prohibition, which would be permitted. Because then you wouldn't know. Well, even, even, even if you knew it might be permitted because, because it's an accidental violation of rabbinic prohibition, an accidental violation of rabbinic prohibition don't generally create prohibitions of use. Okay, so we're just holding, holding our, our whole, holding our whole framework now. Okay, so yes, sir. So I, I mean, it, it, it seems to me that, that there is a that there are three categories here, even though it's a little bit hard to tease out. In other words, there's doing something normally. There is doing it where you position your body in a certain way, and there's doing something where it's the definition of cooking means to let's say cook over an oven, and and when you put something out in the sun, people don't even call that cooking. Right, so it's not just that you're doing it differently; it's that the 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 act itself doesn't even seem to fit the definition as most people would normally. Okay, do. we might get there, but we have to do. But just saying that is going to be problematic because we have one other. We find there's one other move. Okay. That we need to go right. So we understand the first problem. The first problem is that we don't understand how Rashi can claim that sunlight is okay because it's not the way of cooking. It should still be rabbinically prohibited because that's what happens when you do something unusually. And Tovia has tried to. Right, to anticipate why that would be. But there's another fascinating case. Uh, the case of cooking in hot springs. Okay? So now what happens when you cook in hot springs? So the Talmud has a fascinating discussion about, right, it has two possible, the question is where does the heat of hot springs come from? So the Talmud has two suggestions. One possibility is that it's solar heat. And the other possibility is that it's hellfire. It's hellfire? Hellfire, literally. Oh. Because hot spring, because we have right, we live right right near the valley of Ben Hinnom, right? And the valley of Ben Hinnom is where hell is. At least you know what some people take as metaphor, some people take as real. That line of the Talmud seems to be taking it as real. Maybe they, they were talking about Tiberia. Yes, but they believe that the water for the hot springs at Tiberia, yeah, where right the the spring. Oh, everything comes out of Yerushalayim. Yes, the spring comes out and goes pa- and goes past the entrance to hell, and hellfire is real fire. Therefore, the hot springs at Tveria are either heated by fire or heated by sunlight. Or neither. They didn't know about volcanoes. And like we haven't gotten to volcanoes yet. Okay. We haven't gotten to volcanoes yet. We'll get to volcanoes. I'm ready. Let's get there. Okay. So, now the Talmud says there's a dispute. What is the halakha if you cooked in a hot spring on Shabbat? It says, if you think that that hot springs are heated by hellfire, then it's a biblical violation. If you think that hot springs are heated by the sun, then it's a rabbinic violation. So Rabbi Feinstein comes along and says, what? The, the question of whether cooking in a hot spring is a normal way of cooking is independent of how it's heated. So it can't be that the difference between fire heat and sun heat is whether it's a normal way of cooking, because here we have an example that everybody agrees, right? It's to say, right, the facts are not in dispute, the same percentage of people cooking it, and yet the halakha changes depending on whether it comes from fire or comes from the sun. So it must be the difference between fire and sun has nothing to do with the normal way of cooking, just has to do with the difference between fire and sun. 
Yes. It sounds like it changes depending on what you believe. Not even just because it sounds like they have no idea where the fire actually That's right. from. So if I actually 100% believe that it's Gehenna fire, then I shouldn't do it. But my neighbor could do it if... Well, I mean, there is such a thing as an accidental violation. If you were right and they were wrong, then, you know, then their belief that they should do it just turns out to be mistaken, then they'd probably have to bring a sacrifice when the temple was rebuilt. Okay. Um, right, so it's like, you know... You can, right, you can have mistaken beliefs about halacha, but the underlying halacha is whoever's right, right? That's who they're right. That's who that, that's that's what the halacha is. Okay. And how do you legislate if there's two different opinions and one person will do X and the other one will do Y? Well, you know, and you can say that we leave this issue up to discretion, or we can issue a rule. In which case, you you know you follow you follow the rule, except you know if it gets to um, let's you know we could talk about whether you have a, if you have a moral objection to the way the law came out, we could talk about it much much more problematic. We could talk about whether. Halakha is binding if it is if a decision even of a governing authority is based on a demonstra- on a demonstrable factual error. All right, that is that's a totally separate conversation. For this share, okay. we'll we'll be from and we'll assume that it doesn't change. Though we should be aware that that's not obvious at all. Uh, it might depend on with, on your epistemological justification. Um, right, that if you know, if you just disagree with the court's judgment, but you have no you have no basis for saying they're wrong other than your different evaluation of the evidence, that's one thing. But if you have epistemological access in the way they don't to the facts, then maybe that would change it. Mm. Um, okay. So, right, so, there, so we have these, these two problems we need to solve. We need to solve why it is that cooking in sunlight, why, why is it that not being the way of cooking makes sunlight perfectly okay instead of rabbinic? And we have to, under, and we have to figure out why this is not the way of cooking somehow can not prevent cooking over, um, cook, cooking, um, over hot springs from being biblically, uh, biblically liable if they're, heat, if they're fire heats, and yet, um, right, and yet um, make them sufficiently not the way of cooking that sol- right, the cooking in hot springs if they're solar heat um, is, is uh, only rabbinically prohibited, not biblical. Okay, so you have to try and figure out what the, um, what the ways around this um, are. So Rav Moshe tries a couple of moves, and the truth is, I'm not sure either of them works. Yeah. I think most of them might founder on the same kind of conceptual point. Um, so I'll try and present the first one, the, um, the first one to you, and see if it makes any sense to you at all. I may fail completely because it doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> um, so if you don't understand it, it might be my fault, not his. And then, and the reason I think it fails, I think that. I think that for the first answer to work, you really have to be already assuming his second answer, which is conceivably salvageable, although I think is also, in the end, going to be, on, going to be conceptually extremely very difficult to sustain. Okay, here's his first approach. His first approach is to say that, so we have to know a background of Ilchot uh, Shabbat. So Ilchot Shabbat, the, the, the forbidden categories of work on Shabbat, are usually often somehow categorized as right, there are even in the in the biblical level, there are what we call parental, I guess, father prohibitions and son prohibitions. Right, there are, there are avot and toledot. It's very hard to use those categories because there are no halachic differences in the end between avot and toledot. But for some reason, we use those categories. And they're equally as important. They are equally forbidden. Equally forbidden. They're equally forbidden, and in the end, we there are no there are no consequences as to what you call them. But nonetheless, we spend an awful lot of time trying to figure out what they're called. Isn't there a knock regarding punishment if someone does like two of them that are under the when, same of? Yeah, 
the category matters, but not the case. Right? In Avodah Tolada, both belong to the same category. Right? Matter, but there's no difference between doing... which Av something is part of. It doesn't matter if it's a if it's an Av of the thing or a Tolada of the thing. Ah, uh, okay. Right, because because individual actions can be considered an Av just like they can be. Yes. Right. Right. So yes. you can be, be you you can do something which is both the name which is the name yeah. of the group or name of a yes. member of the group. Okay. Yes. Okay. Okay. So if I see makes the claim that. Um, what we do is we say that fire is the defined of, it is the biblical defi- the biblically defined prohibition of cooking, cooking over fire. Sunlight, because it's not the normal way of cooking, is not, right, is not the biblical prohibition. Then he makes the claim that, so anything derived from fire, any heat derived from fire, can be a tolada of the basic cook, idea of cooking over fire. But anything derived, he derived from sunlight, can't get directly back to the category of fire. It has to go through cooking in direct sunlight, and cooking in direct sunlight is a barrier, because cooking in direct sunlight is okay. So you can't say that cooking in cooking in um, in derived sunlight is biblically prohibited, because it's because cooking in derived sunlight has to go back to sunlight, and sunlight's okay. So there's no way for it to get back to the basic thing. Okay? That actually made sense, so I must have explained it very badly because this really doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> uh, so let me try to explain to you why it doesn't make any sense at all, I think. Um, let's say... Um, but how is that? I understood it, but how is it supposed to answer the thing? Oh, so that's fine. So now we know, right, so direct sunlight is... Direct sunlight is... Ah, you, I need to finish it off, you're right. Direct sunlight is... Um, thank you. Direct sunlight is permissible because it's not part of the way of cooking. Okay, now that, right, he has to make one more move, which is the. Oh, we should do it in the same this place. Or am I already jumping the gun? Um, yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, so now he's going to say right. So the right. So direct sunlight is okay. Now there's so why if direct sunlight is okay, so why is indirect sunlight even rabbinically prohibited? That's the question you're asking, right? Right. So the answer is. Now, the reason indirect sunlight is rabbinically prohibited is not because it's a kilacharyad. It's not, it's, not, it's not an unusual way of cooking. It's because, look, here's a handkerchief. Right? It's hot. Do you have any way of knowing how it was heated? No. Right, it's just hot. So if, if you saw me, right, I walk around on Shabbat, and you see me with a handkerchief, and you see me put my, fried, my egg into it, and it comes out fried, you will say, oh, look. It's okay to cook eggs on Shabbat. But that's not true. I just happen to have a solar heated handkerchief, and you don't. You have an oven heated handkerchief. So, because it's so easily confusable, it becomes rabbinically primitive. Not because it's an attenuated version or an unusual version of the standard form, but because it's easily confusable. Whereas direct solar, if I put something out in the sun, you can see, oh, look, it's okay to cook in the sun. That doesn't mean it's okay to cook over fire. That's easily distinguishable. The handkerchief is indistinguishable. Yes. Not right. It's, it will lead to confusion on your part. Right? You'll be confused. I don't think it will lead to confusion at all because in and therefore in in handkerchiefs. Yeah. Why not? That uh, that's not the normal way to, to cook something. It's not. Uh, then why is it a biblical violation if it's heated in the oven? 
That's that's derech der, the derech bishul. Why is it the fire heat is derech bishul? Aha, so you're, that's <laughs> a, yeah. Okay. So so the, in the first answer, Rav Moshe is not willing to go there. He says, look, secondary heat is right. There's no intrinsic difference between in secondary heat. There's no people won't and the same people can't tell, right? If you look at me, that's a really right. All I'm doing is I'm cooking in a in a, in a handkerchief, right? So it's very hard to claim that people know, right? You're gonna say it's no, lovely. I'm saying even if they know, yeah. They're not going to assume you did anything violation because they don't consider that cooking. Right, that's the mar- oh, careful, yeah. That's if it's Marayan. But the yeah. thing is that they will because they're going to they're going to say exactly what you think, which is wrong. They're going to think that it's okay to cook in handkerchiefs no matter what. But cooking in oven. Okay. Thank you for saying that. Okay. Handkerchiefs. Imagination here. People have cooked at different times, different ways, at different times of history. I will get to that. Okay. Absolutely get to it. Handkerchiefs happen to be the way they cook. Imagine something else, right? Imagine that I take a, I have a, I have a shiny piece of, a dark piece of metal, right? And it's and I put an egg on it and it fries. But it's not on the oven now. So you have no way of knowing. You would assume I put it on the oven, in fact. But in fact, I just put it out in the sun. Okay, so that's a perfect. Right? Putting putting eggs on hot pieces of metal is a perfectly ordinary way of cooking, right? So that, right? And if you saw me do it, you would think, right? There's nothing wrong with cooking over hot pieces of metal. But that's not true. So therefore, we ban you from cooking even in solar heated pieces of metal, because people watching will okay. assume that means that they can cook. Okay. In uh, okay, that's Rabbi Feinstein's oh. first thing. Uh, hmm. All right, I'm gonna try briefly to explain why I think it's why I think it's nonsensical. It's an extreme version. Wait, wait. In my humble opinion, it doesn't seem to be correct. Um, the the reason for it is that Ramosha sort of assumes that there's this thing called heat by fire, and then there's another category called heat derived from sunlight, and then uh, you know that a hot piece of metal heated in the sun has to be derivative of sun heat. But the whole point is that sun heat doesn't exist as a category halakhically. In his argument right now, there's just fire and things that aren't fire. There's no category called solar things, right? So then, so there's no reason, like everywhere else, let's say, you know, wild example, right? So you're not allowed to thresh. That's a biblical violation, okay? Milking is a biblical violation of threshing, okay? Or squeezing, squeezing fruit is a biblical violation of threshing. Milking is a lot further from threshing than cooking over a hot plate, over a plate, a plate heated in sunlight is to cooking over, right, to cooking over a fire. There's no reason anything has to, there's no argument you have to relate to some other category. The category solar heat just doesn't exist on Shabbat. On Shabbat there's just Bishal, which is cooking over fire, and everything which is sort of like it. So this is sort of like it, so it should be fine. So I don't understand Rabbi Feinstein's first position. What? You didn't follow it at all? No. I'll try one more time. If it doesn't work tonight, I, I should leave Ramosha intact. I don't need to you know, destroy everyone's faith. <laughs> um, I think Ramosha says that there's no way, whatever, that um, a metal pan heated in sunlight could be a biblical violation derived from cooking if, if the standard form of cooking is cooking over a fire. Because... Oh, you're, so you're saying it should be a total. Yeah. Should be a tovah. Okay, good. You got it. That that was easier. The reason he did it, right? For those, if you're following the Hebrew, is that I think there's a linguistic confusion. The term he uses for the term the Talmud uses for things in secondarily secondarily heated things is also tovah. Like a cliche. 
Space Shady is an, is an interesting example right, of, of that, with well, the water has secondary heat now, probably. Um, so since he used the, the term toledat chama, means secondary heat derived, derived, secondary, heat derived, heat secondarily derived from sunlight. So that word toledag, something he says, okay, so it has to be defined as a toledag chama, but he's confusing a physical description of where the heat came from with a halakhic categorization. Is it possible that the meta issue of how far away a toledag, an action needs to be from the av in order to be considered a toledag depends on the malacha? So for threshing, maybe even things that are very far. Yeah, so you have to, be, you have to justify it. We're about to get there. Okay, if I think then, I think with good reason, abandons this approach and comes up with what seems like a much cooler approach. His much cooler approach is to claim, uh, first of all, he has to invent, um, he has to invent um, what we might call a fudge category. Okay, the, right, we, start off, we start off with a black and white world. A black and white world is there are normal ways of cooking and there are not normal ways of cooking, right? And he says, nope, there are normal ways of cooking, there are um, almost unusual ways of cooking, or there are not so usual ways of cooking, and there are really unusual ways of cooking. And they all have they all have they all have different halachic statuses. In the end, we may have four categories actually, like you know, really usual ways of cooking, sort of usual ways of cooking, sort of unusual ways of cooking, and but for now we only need three: usual, sort of unusual, really unusual. Okay, now what are we going to gain by this? So here's this claim: things which are sort of unusual cannot be what he calls the av. They can't be. They can't be the foundational. The definition, the definitions of the work of the category of work, but they can sort of be subsumed into a founding definition. Okay, it's a little tricky. And here's this. Here's the way he talks about it. He says, "Look, I put my meat in its pot on the fire. That's cooking, right? Now I slowly edge the pot away from the fire. At what point does it stop being cooking?" It's not going to cool down, right? It's always going to be close enough to the fire to be heated. And if I, if I make the fire... Is, uh, but I'd say it's hot enough, right? It's all the way hot, but it's really usual to put the, fire, to put the pot on the, on the fire. It's not so usual to, to keep raising it, right? Even though if you make the fire bigger, you can put the pot as much as the fire as you want or as further away as you want. Yes? Does it matter what the kavana is? Like, does it matter what the... You want to cook it. We're assuming all the way through. You want to cook it. So it's the intention to cook. Intention to cook. And I says, look, you know, it's kind of unusual to put the pan down, right, just light the fire and then put the pan down next to it. That's kind of unusual. But it's not totally unusual. It's just a little bit unusual. Because it's a little bit unusual, he says, so we don't have to say that this is a derivative form of cooking. What we can say is... It's Sorry, derivative tolda or derivative... Tolda. Tolda, yeah. Okay. What we can say is that so long as the heat is coming from a the heat that is cooking this so long as it originates in a fire that's considered the part of the original act of cooking over a fire because it's not a different way of cooking it's just a slightly odd way of the usual a slightly odder form of the usual way of cooking so it just becomes part of the big category of cooking over fire so it matters is how it started yes but he says sunlight is an unusual way of cooking, and things heated in sunlight are sort of unusual ways of cooking. But now we get to the magic things. So we're going to claim is so here we are cooking over hot springs. So if you cook over hot, if hot springs are fire heat, so then you're cooking over fire. Mm -hmm. 
And even though it's a little bit unusual to cook over a hot spring, but it's not totally unusual, so it's okay. Right? It's, it's really biblically prohibited. But if hot springs are heated by sunlight, so now you have something that is unusual, that, does, that cannot be, because if you assimilate it to a source of heat, you're just cooking in direct sunlight, that would be perfectly okay. So now he succeeded in explaining the anomaly that I thought was really weird about the first answer. What he said is that, as opposed to other melachot, other melachot go like this. You know, there's some kind of, there's a defined original action, and then it spreads out in lots of ways. But fire, really all there is, is cooking over fire. Right? You can expand the definition of cooking over fire, but you can't extend it past fire, if you're cooking in an unusual way, even some, in a somewhat unusual way. Okay, if you're cooking in an absolutely unusual way, then it's not going to be biblically prohibited no matter what. But it leaves open an interesting question. So far, we have divided the world in half. There's cooking over a fire, and there's cooking in sunlight. Anybody think of a third way? Microwaves. Microwaves, exactly right. <laughs> right. So that's what this is. your advertisement. Thank you, right? So that is it, right? So the Andrew Feinstein says, and now he says, the world is a different place because we have found the microwave oven. You have to engage a circuit, don't you? Yeah, not like the. You can set a timer on it. We generally do not believe that electricity is fire. Is not why you can't like turn on lights. That's about closing a circuit, not about. But even if it was, the electricity just turns it on. It's the the electricity isn't the microwave. Well, let's 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 start. Electricity as fire is almost nobody really ever thought that. Um, We understand, you know, rabbis understood that that. There are that you can treat different forms of energy as different. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to put on wool sweaters on Shabbat because of the static electricity. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some figures. My wife. Oh, would, oh, okay. My wife. <laughs> and for right, or for that matter, right? Can't we, you shouldn't be able to move because the kinetic energy is also interchangeable, right? And you can put a generator on, right? So, right. So they didn't necessarily understand all that, but they had, but they knew that there were different forms of energy, although they may have known it in different ways than we do. Um, my wife wrote, wrote her undergraduate dissertation on one of the people who did think electricity was fire, but he was very unusual. That's why there was still space for an undergraduate dissertation about. <laughs> um, what, what we do often think is, but incandescent bulbs, because you heat the filament to glowing, so we generally treat a filament heated to glowing as actually fire. So incandescent bulbs were treated as biblical prohibitions, still are, whereas fluorescent bulbs are probably only rabbinic. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless they have starters, that's the whole question, right? Because they might have actual sparks, and that depends on what form, right, what form of ignition you have for mm-hmm. your complex fluorescent bulb. Yes. Rabbinic meaning there was a protective fence placed around them in order to protect people from violating the prohibition. So that's one form of rabbinic prohibition. It's not necessarily the only form. So, for example, right, we talked about how, right, the one understanding is that solar. Their solar derivative heat is rabbinic because it's light, but whereas things that you know done with the back of your hand, that might not be because as, because they're confusable and it's a fence. It might just be because that's cheating. Right. So we have right, we have ulti- we have sometimes they might do it because there's something they really think you shouldn't do on Shabbat, um, but it doesn't fit the categories. So they um, right. So for example, you're not allowed to ride a horse on Shabbat. Why aren't you allowed to ride a horse on Shabbat? So formally, because we're afraid you're going to break off a branch of a tree and use it as a switch to beat your horse. But probably that's not why we don't ride. That's like a bad reason to ban riding a horse on Shabbat, right? Probably they didn't want you to ride a horse on Shabbat. 
Because it's dangerous, too. Or because it may, could make you go far distances, yeah. or because you end up smelly, or because you didn't like horses, I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's not a Shabbat activity. Yeah, we do know that in the Book of Jubilees, riding a horse on Shabbat is a capital crime. So we know that there was a Jewish culture at some point that believed that riding horses on Shabbat was just really, was biblically prohibited, essentially. Mm. But it's, uh, the rabbis decided it was only rabbinically prohibited, but they didn't, they didn't want to be rooted, so they, in the same way that, you know, that, um, let's say, you know, when the, um, when um, Obamacare is justified, um, because it's justified the individual mandate to pay, right, to, to pay, to pay if you don't uh, get private health insurance. So what gives the president the constitutional right to demand that people buy health insurance? Nothing. But he has the right to tax. So it was very carefully claimed that the individual mandate for Obamacare was a tax and therefore was within the president's power. Now a tax, the purpose of a tax is to collect money. This clearly was not intended to collect money, this right, right? But nonetheless, Tana used the president's taxing power, right? In the end, the Supreme Court didn't really buy it, but right, that was right. That was the that was the framework. So here too, the rabbis used their authority to do things to protect, build a fence, but they used it for other purposes. And like Hefker based in Hefker, that the tax thing, like, well, if you can take all the people's money money away, then you basically have complete control over. You do. Yes, you have eminent domain. Yes. yes. Yeah. What's your name, by the way? I thought that the prohibition for lights and that it was closing a circus circuit. Well, you know, we could spend many, many weeks here talking about why and whether electricity is prohibited. There seems to be a very deep intuition that electricity is prohibited, but no one has ever really, really figured out why. Uh, I tend to be with you that the, we should use that the productive completion of a circuit is uh, is 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 the way we define the prohibition. But it runs into issues. Um, there was a rumor, I don't know if it was true or not, and I was waiting for Apple to pay me before I issued anything for real about this. There was a rumor that there's something called continuous current that the iPad worked on, in which case, in which there's always a certain amount of current going through every circuit, albeit a minimal amount, and therefore there's, therefore using it would never either open or close the circuit because all the circuits are always open. True. Right, but no one really wants to say that Apple products are permitted, but other products are forbidden. <laughs> Unless Apple pays you a great deal, which they haven't yet, so I'm not saying it. I just point out this is a weakness. This is a potential weakness in the theory that it is the that it's productive completion of a circuit that is the issue. Uh, and we seem very teleological. Like it's not, it's not really that. You know, this is one of the cases where we're where we're, we're drawing the target around the arrow. Everyone thinks that certain uses of electricity are prohibited, and we're trying to construct right, and we're trying to construct the theory to justify that very very profound intuition. Uh, and then we're trying to get our way out of those theories now because of all the ways in which life is unbearable. Um, like, for example, um, in many cities, you cannot, right, everywhere you go, you are tripping circuits because, right, because of lights and things like Security things like, lights. Security lights. Your neighbor, right, your neighbor puts a, right, there was a case in England a few years ago where somebody sued because their neighbors had put a motion sensor across the hallway in front of them and they thought they couldn't leave on Shabbat. Um, because they were turning on, they were turning on an incandescent light, and it was biblical every time, every time they opened their door, right? So, right, so there, are, there are things we're still working on. This, so we have, we don't, we still don't have a really good theory of why electricity is forbidden. So you said drawing the target around the arrow. It's yeah. really interesting. The arrow being the intuition. Yeah. And the target being the prohibition of the rabbis. Yeah. Place. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So now we have, right, so now the question is, so what is it about, so Rabbi Feinstein makes the claim. So first of all, he makes a, um, it's probably worth reading the language here specifically. What he says is, uh, right, we're on the, 
the asterisk, the first asterisk on page three. It says, V'im came, V'hamikrovev oven, which somebody helpfully translated as a tanur mikrogal. Shetov levashel bo kimo be'esh mamish. This is the second asterisk, by the way. On this page, right, second answer is my fault, right? Um, that it's as, as good to cook on as real fire. And those people who have a microwave oven use it more than cooking on fire. So he dates himself very clearly. And that those ovens haven't spread yet. Because they haven't manufactured enough yet. But when they're enough manufactured, meaning when the price comes down and they're not a novelty item, then everybody is certainly going to use them. Because it's better. Okay, right? So here we have cutting edge halacha. Was he being paid by the microwave company? I don't think so. I think that somebody bought Mrs. Feinstein a microwave oven and she loved it. And he loved it. And he loved whatever his wife loved. He was very good about that. And his wife, who else would he ask? Right? He, you know, everyone has their experts on certain things. You know, he asked his, um, you know, his son-in-law about biology, for better or for worse. And um, presumably, I presume he asked his wife about cooking. Could be he asked something his next door neighbor who's cooking. He loves. I don't know. But at the very beginning, everyone right. That was a, this was a very popular position that microwaves would eventually replace ovens. And then people, you know, now I think like a fair way. I, I taught this to the advanced um, advanced halacha group at Migdal Oz on Sunday, and there seemed to be a consensus among the group that there are no restaurants currently. That use microwaves when they have when um, instead of ovens to cook food as opposed to reheat it. Just Gordon Ramsay will be very angry at you. That's like one of the big things in all of his shows. He goes to a restaurant and they're they're like reheating something in a microwave and he'll just yeah. like yell at them. Even that's reheating. A big, that's a that's a big no no. Yeah. Right. Even reheating. Um, so you could say that this is an example of um, Rav Moshe on you know and he's very explicitly on the cutting edge of soci- mm-hmm. right, sociology. It says everyone would cook this way. It's better to cook that way, and you know, and he would have you know gotten many progressive votes because he's not going to be one of these funny-daddy rabbis who thinks you still need fire, right? You know, we, we can use this cool nuclear stuff, and um, maybe he was just wrong. Maybe he was just wrong. So that's one possibility to say we learn from this. You know, don't get so far ahead. But can you summarize his stance? His stance was that microwave ovens. So we'll put it back in the original framework. We thought there were only two ways of cooking. Fire, which is a normal way of, with the normal way of cooking, and sunlight, which is not the normal way of cooking. And in fact, he said, "Why is that?" Because nobody who had an oven available would put their egg out in the in the sun. But now he says, "Look, now I have a third way of cooking, microwaves, and people would rather have them than fire. So they have to be their own biblical category." So what category? It seems, it seems to be irrelevant. They're on. They're biblical cooking, just like fire. Okay. It seems to be relevant, like how good microwaves are compared to ovens. I mean, the, the main point is that it's a third way of cooking. That but sunlight is a second way of cooking, right? And why are microwaves better than sunlight? Well, no, because it, it depends how the original biblical prohibition is defined. No. So he thinks the biblical prohibition, we go back to Rashi, the biblical prohibition is defined as anything which is the really normal way of cooking. So this is prohibited on Shabbat? Biblically. 
Yeah, because it will be the normal way of cooking. It will be the normal. I mean, normal microwaves way. have some advantages over ovens. Ah, so now we're talking about. So I so we all look at it and say, now nah, this is wrong. Wait, but, sorry, I, I'm 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 still confused by by the position, right? So so is is it that is is he saying that the av the av is cooking something in a normal way? Yes. And so that's not three categories. Of, that's two categories. In the end, right? right. There, are two, there, are three, are, there are three ways of cooking, yeah. and two of them are biblical. Mm-hmm. It's just we never knew about. Yeah. We never knew about micro about microwaves. Now that we know about microwaves, we can look at them and say, "Oh, look, this is a good way to cook." Now, when I was in yeshiva and was in NYU, they taught me th- this. As Rav Moshe said, that if microwave ovens became the standard way of cooking, it would become biblically prohibited. But I, now I've given it to, I, I tried it on a group, different groups, and I think it's clear he says, no, it was already biblically prohibited, because it's not that it's because people use it, it's because normal people would realize that they should use it. I, I still think his view is, is legitimate, though. It's, so it's true that, that, okay, it's less fancy or whatever, but I, you know, I use my microwave probably more often than I cook. So, like, if, if the Av is cooking the normal way, the, or the normal way that people cook. Do you so. cook in your microwave? Um, it, how do you, how do you define cooking? Ah. I mean, I mean, I make, I make rice in my microwave. Good. People so that's right. That that's weird. So that's a, no, it. actually. Yeah. So what I've gotten out three different times is microwaves are better. <laughs> One was obvious. I didn't know about rice. Yeah. I know about rice, but people seem to agree that, that rice comes out really well in microwaves. And the other thing is microwaves are great for reheating liquids. But on Shabbat, most people think that reheating liquids, even though reheating solids is not cooking on Shabbat. Um, but reheating liquids is. Doesn't it matter what temperature it gets to? But microwaves get it to the exact same temperature. You can heat anything, whatever temperature you want in the microwave. How come hot plates aren't prohibited? So hot plates are prohibited for cooking. You only use them to reheat, usually. But if you're reheating, you're not cooking. Right. So then there's a whole rules about because then it's rabbinically prohibited, but there are ways because they want we wanted to have hot food on Shabbat. There are ways to accomplish that. So can I? Yeah. Is the is the issue that like if. If the microwave is not the main, like the most like um, popular form of cooking, then it's only a rabbinic prohibition. Is this what the issue is? If it's well, we don't know what a microwave. Rabbinic is presented with a microwave, and he doesn't know what it is. It could be sunlight and perfectly okay. It could be fire and and probably and perfectly prohibited, but it's not fire and it's not sunlight. So what do we do? Now we have to figure out what the boundary is, right? What what is the difference between sunlight and Fire, because he knows, even though he says there is somebody who says, well, fire is the way they did it in the in the tabernacle. So you, so it's just, so fire is the definition. And Rabbi Feinstein says that makes no sense, and I can prove it to you because Rashi says what's wrong with sunlight is not sunlight. They didn't cook in, in sunlight in, in the tabernacle. Rashi says it's not the way to cook. So therefore, Rabbi Feinstein says everybody has to agree that all that matters biblically is whether this is a normal way of cooking, and so microwaves are biblically forbidden. Because, right, if you was make the assumption they became a normal way of cooking, so then we just have to point out, what if something is a normal way of cooking but only for some foods? So for those foods. Maybe, or maybe we say, no, we define the normal way of cooking globally. This is not a normal way. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, there's a, a book of recipes, um, well, there's, there's a famous recipe for poached salmon in dishwashers. Uh, there's a book <laughs> of recipes that are measured in miles as opposed to in, uh, as opposed to a cooking time, because your engine gets hotter, and oh. if you put your food <laughs> on the engine, <laughs> so it's drive for sixty miles at X miles per hour. 
Right. So there are, you know, there, it may be that there's a particular, you know, maybe it's potted armadillo tail or something like that. Cooks really, really well in, um, in, but right, in, in cars, but maybe that still would be a biblical prohibition. I mean, driving the car itself is a biblical prohibition, but other than that, um, we could, we could uh, deal with it. Yes. Uh, so are you saying what makes the microwave, Ramosha's uh, original opinion was what makes the microwave most similar to fire as opposed to being similar to sun? is that fire is the main way to cook. So that, so it's like we could draw these metaphors in different ways and saying like, milking a cow on Shabbat is like threshing because, um, because of, because there's this, they have this piece in common. And something else is, it's like this other, like yeah. how we form these categories, um, there's different, there's different ways to draw the connection between the categories and they're not consistent within the category itself. Well, what he would argue is that milking a cow is a normal way of milking a cow. And therefore, uh, what we, what, all we need to do is to find a, con a way to, to conceptually include it within the category of threshing, and it's fine. Whereas cooking in sunlight is an unusual way of cooking, so you can't find a way to conclude it conceptually. You have to actually make it the original category. So since the heat of second day, right, of heat, things heated in fire can be viewed as it's still being cooked over fire, it's okay. But if in any way you, you remove it from fire, it can't, it can't become part of the conception directly because it's not usual. Only usual things can become part of it. But usual things, right, so it's a usual way of milking. It's a usual way, and that's part of the conceptual category, separating something from the place where it develops. It doesn't have to be like threshing. They just both participate in the conceptual, the conceptual category is separating something from the place where it develops. And there are lots of ways which it can, it can apply to grain and it can apply to, it can apply to, to milk. That's the broad shared category yeah. for threshing, is separating something from the place that right. it comes from. But only in usual ways. If it, was an, if, you, if it was an unusual way of milking a cow, then that wouldn't count at all. Lush is not saying that if everyone used microwaves, then microwave would be the biblical way of cooking and cooking over fire would only be rabbinic. So that's one of the weaknesses of his logic, is that it sounds like that if we got rid of ovens and everybody only cooked over microwaves, maybe. No, it's a weakness in your interpretation of it. Meaning, he's clearly not saying that. He's not saying that microwaves need to be better than fire, and if they're not better than an oven, then, then it's well for the fire. No, he's saying and microwaves are as. on the same level That's as right. fire. They're similarly good. Yeah, they might be slightly... So but he thought they're slightly better, you're saying they're slightly worse. Fine, but that doesn't change... You think they're close that. enough? Right. You think they're close enough? Okay, could be. Could be that just being good enough to recook water is good enough. But here's, there's a really important... Um, we call a nafkamina, halachic difference as to which of these answers you take. Because what happens if solar heat becomes normal for certain kinds of food? So you, maybe what if solar heat becomes normal just because people become environmentally conscious and they'd rather cook in the sun than have carbon emissions? Or even if you say, okay, no, because we're not interested in... Because then microwaves, part of the issue is microwaves are preferred... Even though the quality of the food is worse, you can cook it faster. So there are reasons, there's still time when you prefer microwaves as long as you have issues other than food quality. But so maybe, so that, that, that issue will come up depending whether, if you, if you prefer solar heat for environmental reasons. But there's nothing, what happens if solar heat becomes a perfectly normal way of cooking one thing, which it has in Israel, which is water. Because hot water in Israel tends to come from derivative solar heat. So the question is whether Rabbi Feinstein's prohibition, logic, the logic by which Rabbi Feinstein prohibi um, prohibited microwaves biblically also means that there's a biblical prohibition against setting up your dude shemesh. 
uh, on Shabbat. Right, but that would make Rav Feinstein arguing against the Gemara, which... No, he would just say that it wasn't then a normal way of cooking, but as a techno- just like technology can develop new ways of cooking, it can also develop ways to make old ways of cooking. Right, this is where we get to non Noah said no way. <laughs> right, not new things, but new ways. Okay, so, right, so the question is whether, right, whether it is true that Ray finds right. So you can argue that this is, that doesn't, that's not true because he was wrong about microwaves because microwaves never became the, the normal way of cooking most things. And since he was and and he always argued that microwaves depends upon it becoming normal way of cooking for more than water and rice, and therefore solar solar heated water heaters are also still not normal ways of cooking. Or you could say no, he was right about microwaves because even though it never became normal, it became normal for water, and then solar heat become, solar heaters become biblically prohibited also. Okay, that's Rabbi Feinstein. Is 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 there any move here to to say that? Um, uh, that microwaves should be mutter because from a physics standpoint it's a lot closer to sunlight? That would be my intuition, right? It's EM radiation as opposed to fire, which is which is friction and breaking chemical bonds. And, and... Okay, you know, that, you know, like what axis do you want to target? Do you want, what axis do you want to work it on? I don't know. You know, microwaves seem to be like a, a very uh, very different than either because they're right, they only right, they only hit the water, right? And everything else is derivative. That's that's all fine, but I'm saying the, the source the source of the energy comes from EM radiation, which which to me is is a substantive physical difference than than fire or heat derived from from friction. Um, so just like I, I, okay, I understand there's there's fire and there's there's EM radiation. These are different physical processes, and one halacha decided to call cooking maybe because it was no, but but once halacha made the distinction, the distinction. Exists in the world. Okay, so you think you think that the sort of you know the distinctions that we in conventional science we right we have labels for certain kinds of radiation, but it's really just wavelengths, right? No, the the heat produced by fire is not EM radiation as as we think of it. I don't think that that's that's statistical. That's that's like statistical mechanics, right? It's it's it's, um or it's it's no it's it's high energy bonds that are breaking. But it's not that they're like photons being released and then are traveling in waves and heating uh-huh. things up. It's it's, okay. it's different. different Could stuff. be clever. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, because I, I do think that Chazal had an intuition that the fact that that the way that the sun heats things up is different than the way that fire heats things up, um, which I think is, is okay. Different. But the nafkamina to what you're saying is if you if you go if you if you actually travel to the sun and heat something on the fire of the sun, according to you, that would be biblically prohibited. The closer you come to the sun, Pashup Shah of the Gemara is still still hitting the sun, even if you live the fire of the sun. And I use this also as people said, you know, like cooking in the sun is not reliable. It's not reliable because you can have clouds. So I talked about bringing something up to orbit, you know, above the cloud layer, and, and then trying to cook out. Maybe the sunlight become normal in outer space. It's colder, is um, <laughs> Yes, but but direct sunlight. <laughs> Okay, so I want to do just for, for, more for fun. Let's take a look at the because uh, it's just also because I really, I really what interests me really is the is the question that I'm you know that I think I have to deal with constantly as a halachist is to what extent do I want to to what extent to be cutting edge and to what extent to rely on most of what you know totally just told me this right but I could repeat it to somebody else and turn out to be an idiot I don't really know the difference between the two kinds of radiation. Uh, but that's what most people are in position at some point 
somebody's going to tell you something and you don't really know. Right? You consult with experts, so maybe you just don't want to do that. Maybe you want to keep things the same until they have a long time and you need lots of experts. So here we have a sort of cautionary tale. Okay, this is the Shunon Chokhtanon against Rabbi Yaakov Chagiz, early 17th century. Um, so he says, Sheila, here's the question. Ha'esh shall have it, the fiery flame, she'yotzei bin heharim, that comes out between the mountains. What are we talking about? Volcanoes. Mativo, <laughs> right? So what is its nature? So he says, Tshuva, here's his answer. Omrim ha'tivi'im, the naturalists say, Shenitzotz min ha'shemesh, that a spark of the sun, niv'ar b'motzah ha'gafrit, somehow caught onto, lit to a source of sulfur in the earth. Umishama ishi say. So geothermal heat is really solar heat. It's a very really interesting claim. Now you might ask, he says, the kashel zeh, shalama ino holeichem avir ha home. so why doesn't, you know, the whole, why isn't the whole earth on fire? So the answer is, which is a great answer, it says, There's a wicking effect. There's a wicking, there's a wicking effect, right? So just like, you know, the, your, your, your oil manure doesn't burn all the oil all at once, so the earth, the earth right, so, the, so the, the fire, the spark of the sun doesn't burn all the earth's sulfur at once. There's a wicking effect. Okay, great. Now I should say, I called um, the, um, the geology department at whichever University of California is supposed to have the best geology department, like 25 years ago, and I said, has anyone ever said anything like this? They had no, they had no record. They sent me to the standard intellectual history of volcanoes. Nobody, Newton said something that was sort of similar, but I can't find anybody who suggests this. So we really have no idea who the heck is in Turkey, right? Which scientist he was talking about who told him that there's a spark of that there's a spark that there's a spark of the sun somehow embedded in the earth. But that was his science. Okay, so now he says, Right? So now he has this fascinating claim where he says that the rabbis debate whether it's sunlight or uh, sunlight or um, or hellfire, but really what they mean by hellfire is just geothermal heat. And really it's sunlight either way. So hot springs are always fine. Um, okay. So, so he says, hang on a sec, but if that's the case, um, right, if that's the case, so uh, it, it really is fire, right? So who cares where the fire came from? And he says, no, maybe it's just reheated sulfur. But not my, right, but he says, but if I'm right, now he says, really, if I'm right, that it's a, um, that it's, that, it, that if I'm right, that it is um, geothermal heat is solar heat, so we understand why cooking in hot springs is not an issue. But now he, com- but now he comes with a great line. So look at this. Look at the well, sorry, yeah. so is, is he claiming that the two positions that is hellfire and that it's from the sun equivalent? He seems to be. It's in, very in, hard in, to like read that. Phys- physically, they're equivalent, yeah. and therefore, the halakhically, halakhically, it's like the, the sun. Yes. Okay. The are like the sun. Okay. So now he says, According to my theory, that that's what's going on is a spark of the sun embedded in, a, um, in, a, in sulfur. So maybe cooking in it isn't biblically liable because it's just derivative sunlight. And how he says, and There's no fire that you're obligated for cooking on Shabbat. It's only on the 
natural fundamental flame that um, that bursts that bursts into flame that is sorry that is drawn downward by the element or by the by the fundamental element of air that um, catch, that catches fire. Do you understand what he's saying? Like Aristotelian. Exactly right. He also read Aristotle, and so he believes that fire is one of the four elements of which the of which the sublunary world is made, but the sun is made out of a completely different material. And he's going to claim that Bishul Shabbat, the difference between between cooking over fire and cooking in sunlight, is not whether it's the way of cooking or not. It's that the, the action is defined by fire, and solar heat is not fire. It's a totally different thing. It looks like fire, and he takes it to his extreme. His extreme position is, therefore, So if you focus sunlight with a magnifying glass and you start a fire, it's still not fire. And it's not biblically prohibited to cook over a fire that was started by a magnifying glass. Because What's this guy's name? This fellow? Rabbi Yaakov in the 17th century, and he is so up-to-date. He talks to, he talks to the geologist on his block, and, uh, right, and, he, reads, and he, reads, he reads Aristotle, and he is absolutely cutting-edge halakha here. How do you spell H-A-G-I-Z. Um, and you know, I, I, I agree with his conclusion. I mean, he's basically saying what I, he has a little bit of a different frame. Uh-huh. But, but I, I essentially agree that the physics is, is different between fire and solar energy. So uh-huh. he, he also wants to have problem with... But you don't think that's true about fire. You don't think it's going to be true if fire started by magnifying glasses. But no, no, I, I, I do. do. I think that's fire started by magnifying glasses. Why wouldn't that be told Sakama? The heat comes from the sun. Because now it's a fire. It got transformed. Yeah, but it's told Sakama. Doesn't it matter. That was fire. It's the rule that says Toldos Kamba is Yeah, fire. really? No, Toldos Kamba is but is oh, saying, saying until it becomes fire. Then it's fake. If 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 you start a fire with a magnifying yes. glass, oh, it doesn't matter. Right? Okay. It doesn't matter. Therefore, yeah, like it might be it also it might be that you know that if somebody hands you a already burning thing, you can say, well, maybe it came from a forest fire. We don't know what he thinks about that. That's why it has to be rabbinically prohibited. Rabbinically, rabbinically, but not biblically. Okay, so just so in case, yeah, he would have no problem with the microwave. So on this logic, microwaves, we don't know what he would think microwaves are. We have no idea. No, he, he might think it's perfectly okay. If, if it's not a, a, a real fire, like the yes, sun is real. Yes, probably it's fine. So then microwave could be fine, too? Probably it's fine. But in case you want to write him off, everybody should appreciate him. But he then does the invent something which is very important to all who observe people. It's one of the far-reaching things. So he says, hang on a sec. What I have just said is I have found a way to cook in a way that is only rabbinically prohibited. Okay, now there's a rule that rabbinic prohibitions didn't apply as when in the context of the temple ritual. Only biblical prohibitions apply. And there's this odd thing that um, when, Yom, when, Yom HaKippur, um, fell, when Yom HaKippur fell out on, um, on Friday, the <laughs> priests were supposed to eat the, the, the meat from the sacrifice on Friday night, but they had to eat it cold. Because you can't cook it in Kippur and you can't cook it in Shabbat. But he says, no, I don't understand. If if I'm right that there's a rabbinic, rabbinic way of cooking, why didn't they just cook the meat over a hot spring? Okay, maybe there wasn't a hot spring close enough to the temple. But then he says, while I'm thinking about this, I have a really cool idea, which is even better than that, 
forget everything I said, you could still find a way, there's no reason the, the, the priest had to eat their meat cold. And what he does is, he invents the Shabbat clock. And how does he invent the Shabbat clock in the 17th century? He says, let's put your pot down there. And we're going to put it on top of kindling. And we're going to wrap a rope around the kindling, a really, really long rope, and we're going to take the rope all the way away from the fire, and we're going to light it before Yom Kippur. It's a 24-hour fuse. And meanwhile, right, meanwhile you, sacrifice, right, you sacrifice the meat, right? You put the meat in the pot, you put the meat in the pot, what's the problem? Right? There's nothing hot there, there's nothing going on, and 24 hours later, the, um, the, right, the, um, the, uh, the fire will reach the kindling, and it'll burst into flame, and now you can have cooked sacrifice. But you're putting it on, on Shabbat? You're putting, no, you light the fire, it's a 24-hour fuse. Oh, you put it on the pot before Shabbat. No, you put the, you put the pot without the meat in it, because you, you don't get the meat till tomorrow. Right? You put the pot on the kindling, and then you light the fuse, you know, half a mile away, and then you sacrifice, you take the meat, you put it in the pot. What's wrong with putting it in the pot? pot's cold. Yeah, but it's going to become hot. Eventually. That's like saying I can put this thing in the oven and because if I put it in the oven, it's, it's not going to become it's not going to become cooked right away. It'll take time. No, but it is, it is very parallel. I put the thing in the oven, even though I know the oven is going to turn itself on. By a Shabbat clock. But by that logic, you should be able to put it in even if it is hot because just putting it in isn't going to cook. No, it starts the cooking process. This also not... starts the cooking process. No, it does. It's not, but that's the question, yes. Then how come you're not allowed to pick up a marker? Because then it might seem like you're going to write even though you're not writing. Well, like, picking up a marker. Doesn't putting something in an oven look like you're cooking? It's so we could say that putting it? things in an oven is a prohibition, but this isn't an oven. This is just a pot. It's a big open air. Was the issue that the meat was I mean, it's a psychratia. If you do that, yeah. 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 it's not a mouth. Yeah. It's a little bit of They have to eat it. But it's like, is that the only time that they would eat prawns? Yeah, because normally you never have two days of Shabbat in a row. So why is it? It's only when they Kippur and Shabbat are consecutive. It's a psychratia, no? If you do this, it will lead to the thing being cooked. So what? So it's psecretion. So what? It's psecretion. Yeah. only applies in the moment. Otherwise, it's a grama at most. <laughs> so his students didn't like. His students didn't like it either. And his students. And his students tried to argue that, which is really important. His students tried to argue that really the fire. But this is also right. The, the fire. A fire isn't just where it's burning. A fire is connected to all the things it will eventually burn. Is it? Whoa, that's profound. So that's a right, really counterclaim. There's a fire here, right? There's a long rope, so you can say the fire is fire, right? The fire is really anywhere as long as the rope goes. That's where the fire is, because the fire is right is connected to its fuel. So the students didn't like his idea, but he was into it. Now you think this idea is crazy, but actually, three centuries, no, two centuries later, uh, the Moses Sofer, the Tom Sofer's grandson reports that probably without knowing this trip, they don't know. That that's how they had hot coffee on a Friday night in Frankfurt. In the baby drash, they, you know, it was early Shabbat, and they wanted to stay up learning, learning Torah late. So they would light a fuse before Shabbat, and it would get right and when Shabbat, and then it would get there on Shabbat. They would have had coffee on Shabbat. So this was actually the first Shabbat, the first Shabbat clock that was implemented, although it was implemented two centuries after um, after he invented it. And then, in case any people have even cooler ideas, somewhere in the in the early 20th century, somebody comes up with the idea of dangling a focusing lens um, such that at about 10 or 11 a.m. the sunlight will go through it and focus it on kindling which is under the pot waiting for Shabbat lunch. So they could have, right, so they could have had lunch. And that was the, that was the second fancy, second fancy Shabbat clock, but doesn't come explicitly for everyone wonders if that person didn't read this trivia also. 
All right, so that's the concept of measures. Hopefully that gives you, you know, at a technical level, it gives you a much better understanding of the calculations that go on in terms of cooking on Shabbat. And it gives you a, um, it gives you a model for thinking about whether halakha is really supposed to be cutting edge or not, because often cutting edge halakha ends up not just being wrong halakha and not so long afterwards. Um, so one should be um, very cautious. And again, you have the memory, because all you have to remember, right, is and not new things, but new ways. Um, you can get most of the content of the shir. So, so I, I think that there's, there's a, a broader issue here, um, not even related to halakha, but, but relating to, to science, right? And, and at, what point, at what point do we say that science like, knows something like, pretty for sure? Um, and I, I, like, I, we normally assume in the scientific community that uh, you know, everything that happened you know, before, I don't know, like 200 years ago is, is like, completely useless. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really like only recently... Um, when we've really had a revolution in terms of how we think about about the scientific method and, and probability, um, that um, that that we really have have like a good understanding of how to properly test things. Now, granted, like a lot of the studies that come out, especially in fields like psychology or, or whatever, you know, you have a lot of things that fail to replicate. Right. And, and so you whatnot. think the same thing scientists thought two hundred years ago about themselves? So right. So so so. But yes. But, it's but, a new revolution, yeah. right? It's a new revolution is more than 200 years old. Yeah. And well, no, but the truth of the matter is 200 years, like, it was true, I think. Cause, I mean, I, I think Toby, you would agree that, like, you know, the Kepler's, you know, laws, you know, were established correctly back then, right? It's, <laughs> okay, here, right, we're going to bracket this. I'm going to end with certain examples, but Toby, you should ask your question. Ask your question. What was the question you asked? Um... So, so the the question is, I mean, it it seems to me that you should, your the epistemological approach that you take in general should be let's let let's let's do the thing which is most likely to lead to the truth, um, right? And it's it's always a question. So you know, is if we're going to have a policy for for global warming, so do we know like a hundred percent that uh, you know global warming is actually happening? On the one hand, no, but but you have to go with the evidence that you have, and then you make a decision based on that. And I, like, I, I don't think what what sort of what sort of the value in not taking that approach, and not not making an estimate based on the best evidence that you have. Right. So that's I think is the, I think law has a very deep interest in stability. Yeah. Right. And that's one of the reasons. And I think well, I think that's really the, the simplest answer. The law, the law has a deep interest in stability, and um, and so every time you change the law, there's a price, and I, I think that's there's a price in terms of the authority of the law. No, I have an example where science, the rabbis got science uh, totally wrong, yet it's for our benefit, and on Shabbat, the idea of killing uh, killing lice, killing lice on right. Shabbat. So they say it's from spontaneous generation, right. and therefore they're not really right, so uh, like, coming from a father and a mother or, or uh, laying eggs or anything else. And therefore, you can, you can kill them on Shabbat. Right, so lice is an example. There are a couple other... And their reasoning is totally wrong, right. but, but they well, still kill lice right, today. So it's right, the question is, to kill lice today. And the question is, right, did, you know, with, with that also drawing a target around, like, did they have a tradition that killing lice is permitted and they have to draw a target... Around the arrow, and they got the target wrong, but the right, but the arrow is still in the right place, right? That's mm-hmm. the, but there, there's there are a bunch of you know of, of interesting contemporary questions. Um, DNA evidence is a 
is a very compelling question because we have this category of non-believers, which are children of adulterous marriages who can't marry in the community, but Halakha has always found ways to discover that they weren't really adulterous. The easiest way is we create a presumption that married that um, most inseminations for married couples come from the husband. Yeah. And we extended that to extremes, like even if the husband has been out of town for a year, maybe he said the name of God and magically appeared in his wife's bedroom one night and then said it again and went back to where he came from. There's all sorts of wild extremes, but the evidence. Or, or we assume that uh, um, a woman is always taller when her wife, when the husband comes back from a trip. Uh, let's talk about that one. Okay. <laughs> um, but this one, right? This next one is one that has very, very, um, very compelling reasons nowadays, and really rabbinic courts fought the inclusion of the evidence. Um, in Israel for years, so they wouldn't have this issue, um, even though because right, people, because men would sue to for paternity tests to avoid child support, mm-hmm. and the rabbinic courts would try to prevent the secular courts from allowing DNA evidence to come in because then they would discover it. Uh, but then we had to allow um, DNA evidence in because of 9/11, because it was the only way to identify mm-hmm. a lot of the husbands, so the women could be free. So now, once it's let in, they can do it for paternal. So now, right? So that's right. So this is this is be right. So once it was. So, you know, people have ways out, new ways out, but new ways out may win or may not win. So that's, you know, that was a genie out of the bottle. The 9-11, I could know it. So is it really fair there's going to be a lot of Bruno? It's not. A lot of... Uh, yeah, that's right. This is an ongoing issue. We're fighting it all the way through. Um, there's a really, there's a really fun one, which is um, salt. You, right, you have to kosher meat with salt. But lots of people are on low-sodium diets. So do we make that, so is it not, so do we not let them eat meat? So this case came up in the 1950s, and the rabbinate turned to Dr. Shmuel Soloveitchik, who was a brother of the famous rabbinic Soloveitchiks, who told them that potassium chloride does the same thing chemically as sodium chloride, but doesn't have the health implications. And on that basis, the um, rabbinic, the rabbinate, the rabbinate ruled that you can you can um, kosher meat using potassium chloride as opposed to sodium chloride, which is great. I don't know, which is great, except that, that what halakha says salt does is not the same thing as sodium chloride does. So A equals B and, and A equals C, but it does not mean that B equals C. And the question is how you can do that. And the last case, obviously... And now, now the salt thing, they found to be B and right. the, la- the last thing, obviously, is, you know, is, how, is how we deal with, how we deal with issues about, um, about sexual orientation and things like that, which, right, which is right, where probably where the most pressure is on halakha now, and that raises very much, you know, with this... The, the cutting edge seems to change almost daily, and the question as to how Lachash should respond to things like that is a really, a very, a very live issue. All right, thank you very much. Pleasure to meet you all. How interesting! Literally the last ten seconds. Uh-huh. I'm interested. I was interested the whole time, but now I'm especially. Interested. Yeah, I thought I, I didn't want to have a conversation with you about this at some point. You can email me. Go sign up for the mail. Social Great. issue more than a scientific. No, no. very well. This how you approach the thing. It depends very much on what you what you accept and don't accept of, of certain things that are that are said to be science without taking positions as to which are and which aren't. Well, no, I mean it's okay. Fine, you can call it science, but it's not like the physical sciences. It depends which who's it depends whose thing you accept. Which science do you accept? You know, what what empirical evidence do you write? Do you, do you accept that there being things right? What epidemiological evidence do you accept? Right? What statistical evidence do you accept? All those things are obviously going to affect halakha in serious ways. So, uh, I guess I, I I'm not. Is, is is there something specific about halakha that it has to deal with these issues, or is it also a problem generally for legal systems? In other words, this this vested interest in having stability seems to be. Mostly, mostly in the type of things that Talakha cares about, but I feel like in 
Legal systems that enforce them power are much more capable are much more capable of dealing with instability. Um, I don't, but I don't think that that's the only issue, though. Because You're welcome. Can I ask a very fast oh, question? Where, where, um, I'd love to read um, just the story of the meat, the raw meat. Uh, you know, I honestly don't know where the, I, I, I learned that. David Miller talked this to me when I was in, learning Yerodea okay. and I asked the question about, I asked the question about salt maybe about the halakhi definition of salt not matching the scientific uh, the scientific description of capillary reaction and he said, hmm, interesting and so I just carried that question around with me for 30 years Okay I don't, you know, I don't have any uh, I mean, I think there there is a rejected like somewhere has an art, has an article about you know about has mentioned potassium chloride being permissible. I'm I'm actually just curious where I can read um, just the story about uh, uh, Dr. Shmuel Soloveitchik. No. Sorry. Um, about the Kohanim not being like the raw meat. Oh, the raw meat. Oh, that's in this. That's in this. That's it's in yes, there. That's right. in here. It just makes ah. it. You want like the the fundamental issue? That one. Yeah. So that's in right. right that's uh, right here. Right. Um, okay, so right, it's Minachot 99. Minachot 99, okay, cool. And just, just to understand it more, it's that like Yom Kippur and Shabbat were back to back? Yes, Yom Kippur was Friday, so you, sac you sacrificed on Friday, but you eat the sacrifice at night. Okay, which so is already you Shabbat. eat it Friday night, okay, yeah. got it. Okay, what was your name? I'm Noam. Noam. Yeah, thank you. Okay. All right. Thank you. Here, tell me, I don't know the answer, is that, you know, so I haven't been had authority in any other legal system. Right. I probably am just a conservative. Right. So, so that's that's sort of my my question is that uh, uh, yeah, my, my my intuition is is that halacha has an issue with these things in a way that other law doesn't because other law, um, at least like American law, I think has a process by which like you can change things once you have evidence and halacha is. I think, in principle, very resistant to that. It's not just because of enforcement. I think that there's an idea we have a tradition. You know, the force of halakha ultimately comes from the fact that we have a tradition, as opposed to from the fact that we have Right, but if we had enforcement powers, it wouldn't come from tradition. It would come from enforcement. I, I think it's also a particular issue with the two thinkers you brought, Joseph Feinstein and... Because uh, uh, they're very innovative thinkers. Because, like, intuitively, you wouldn't have thought, like, he had this issue because he thought a new thing, microwave, what is that? That's a new halakhic category. Intuitively, you wouldn't say, if, if for thousands of years there was only two halakhic categories, fire and sun, and you see a new thing, you would have to say, okay, microwaves are either fire or they're sun, and I have to figure out which one it is, but since he's an innovative guy, he thinks, let's make it a new thing. And that, and once he does that, that all creates all these problems because then you can have things like you mentioned with the water heater, and now the sunlight it can can be biblically prohibition, and, and the whole thing can fall apart because if you if you if you you know if you ignore thousands of years of tradition and said there's only two things, let's say there's a third thing, then and maybe you can make it work with this third thing, but once you do that, the, the whole structure okay. could fall apart. It could be that you know, there's a weakness of creative halakha generally, generally. I mean, I'm just saying like. It, if, if you have a less creative approach to halacha, then it's probably more okay to to do what Tobias is suggesting and, uh -huh. and and look at the science because then okay, you know you're not gonna you're not gonna blow the whole thing apart anyway because you're gonna interesting. Okay, good, good to say. I've been happy even though I'm giving the same shimmer over again. I'm different things every time. 
És ez környező atyán kérdőkével nem is jöhet, hogy most Thanks for the Yeah, my pleasure. Oh, my dad, pardon me.